The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Christ Church, and welcome. So glad that you are here, even though I am not. For those of you joining us online, this may not be too terribly different. But for those of you here for the first time in person, I'm sorry that I can't meet you, but I'm excited to meet you on another Sunday. I would love for you to come back. You will find at Christ Church uh, a phenomenal group of welcoming people, and I'm so glad that you're a part of what we're doing today. We're in the middle of a series entitled Culture of Care, and this morning we are in part four, and I'm excited to get into it with you. As Christ Church continues to grow, we are intentionally seeking to create a culture of care by identifying and empowering leaders by creating a structure that allows us to carry out care, and then by empowering, mobilizing, and training every member of Christ Church to be able to step into the particular role and purpose and calling that God has for each of us. And so that's what this series is about. Now, I wish there was a Caring for Dummies book. That would really help us right now, but there's not. And so we've been taking these weeks to look at the topic of care from the scriptures, and we've been talking around these P words, the first of which was perspective. We talked about suffering as the backdrop of care, and where does suffering come from? How does God work through it and in it? And how does care provide an opportunity for us to make God's love visible to people who are in difficult situations. So we started with some perspective. We also saw that God is the source of care. We are not. We are simply conduits of God's care to other people. Week two, we talked about proximity, that care really involves presence, incarnation, and that's the nature and character of God. He's always moving toward us. He's the one who initiates. He's the one that makes promises and covenants and comes in our direction. Ultimately, he came in the person of Jesus, the most caring thing in in the history of mankind, in the history of the universe, is seen as God coming to dwell with us as our savior king. And then through his ascension, he doesn't leave us alone, but through the cleansing we have in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and God makes his home in us. And so care always has an element of proximity. Last week, we talked about preoccupation and how pain and anxiety and stress uh, causes us to be preoccupied by that circumstance or by that thing that is bringing about our pain. Uh, we, we thought through the motivation and the capacity that preoccupation brings and how important it is that we recognize that while we are preoccupied by the things that stress us out or cause us pain, we find that God is actually the one preoccupied with us. And it's a revelation of that awareness that begins to set the stage for our increased motivation to care for others and an increased capacity by his spirit's power to care for other people as well. And so now we're kind of shifting in the series towards the practical element. And so this morning's P word is priority. Priority. Typically I'd have somebody say priority, but I'm not there to watch. And I don't know if you'll say it and that would be weird. So priority, priority. Now, as you can imagine, in the same way that pain and stress and anxiety and suffering become preoccupying for us, they also tend to determine our priorities. Any of you who are living with a current injury, a broken arm or an injured knee, or you need something replaced, uh, or you're going through some relational turmoil, it's that thing that begins to reorder your life. Uh, any of you who have been married know that you go through a rough patch in your marriage and you recognize we have to invest time in this. And so the suffering relationally that you're enduring now causes you to make time in your schedule for counseling. And so your pain leads to preoccupation, leads to priority. Now there's also a spiritual reality where we can set our priorities. We can begin to determine what is the most important and then find that those priorities 
influence our preoccupation. And that preoccupation then positions us to not only overcome our own pain, suffering, anxiety, difficulty, and stress, but to be useful to God, to have time and space and margin to be able to care for other people. And so this is the kind of the bend in the road. And so we're gonna see this in a really dramatic section of scripture in Acts chapter 20. So if you have your Bible, will you turn there? Acts chapter 20, the key verse is verse 28, but we're gonna begin reading in verse 17. The Acts of the Apostles is the book about what Jesus began to do after his ascension, what he continued to do by the Holy Spirit and through the disciples. And it recounts uh, the early disciples and the spread of the gospel through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Paul, the apostle Paul becomes a central figure. We see his missionary journeys. We see him going to these different places, preaching the gospel, establishing churches. And chapter 20, we have Paul making a movement towards Jerusalem. But before he goes there, he calls the Ephesian elders, the leaders of the churches in Ephesus to meet with him. And it's super dramatic. It's very tense, very emotional because this is the last time that he expects to see them. And so these are parting words from the apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders. And verse 28 is our key verse. So let's read Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul recounts the experience the Ephesian elders had with him, what he did, how he did it, why he did it. And he's setting this up to say, what I'm about to say to you is extremely important. I'm committed to the calling. The same thing that I was passionately committed to that you observed, I am still passionately committed to, but a transition is taking place. Look at verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Now this meant certain death. This is the epicenter for the enemies of the Jesus movement. And this is gonna be arrest and an attempted execution the same way that these particular Jews sought to execute Jesus for calling himself king. Now they wanna see Paul stopped for calling Jesus king. And so he's going led by the Holy Spirit directly right into the heart of the danger zone. It says that he is constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And so the only news he has is it's gonna be painful and it's gonna be bad, but this is where I know that I'm supposed to go. Now, why would he do that? Why, if you have that awareness, would you continue on that course? He tells us in verse 24, this is why. Listen to his disposition, the way he views himself, his perspective, the calling he has to go to these places, his proximity, his preoccupation with his purpose. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So these are parting words. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink, he says it again, from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I don't know if you picked up on this. Paul's saying, I did what I was called to do. My job is complete. This is now off of me. And he is transitioning the call of oversight of these churches from himself to the leaders of these churches. Paul's saying of all the things that could have been done, he did what he was supposed to be doing. And now he's charging these Ephesian leaders to pick up where he left off and this is permanent. And so he says these punchy words that are important for us this morning in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. We thank you for the power it has to permeate our hearts and minds, to till up the soil of our hearts and to find a home like a seed to bring about good fruit. God, I pray that your word would find good soil in each heart this morning and as we turn our attention to what this passage means and how it should affect the way we think about our purpose and our priorities. God, I pray for those who are listening, either present or online or at a later time who do not know you. God, I pray that they would have a revelation through this passage of what you were like and what you have done and what they are invited in to participate in. God, help us as the church of Jesus. Help us as leaders. Help us as the flock of God to put on display the nature and character of who you are. Lord, build us into a caring people motivate us, empower us, increase our capacity and help us to have the wisdom and the willingness to alter our priorities so that we can be the culture of care that you have designed and desire. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I mentioned it, but our our pain becomes our preoccupation and our preoccupation determines our priorities. We experienced this last year. We had two kids, two broken bones in the same year. So we came home from, I don't even know where at some point and Evie, our oldest, jumps out of the car and she's running into the house. She likes to be the first one to get to the cat and cuddle the cat who's always asleep when we come home. And she tripped running towards the stairs and as she fell, she fell kind of squarely onto the sidewalk and it wouldn't have been that bad, but her pinky finger caught one step and just yanked it back and broke her pinky. And so turns purple and now that meant a whole, a whole trip of doctor's appointments and x-rays and heading to places to have wraps put on and uh, things made and new x-rays. And so we had this whole Evie's broken pinky journey from the beginning of the year. By November, when that had, had healed up and we had kind of come through all of that, uh, Molly decides to um, best her sisters as they launched from the swing set into the air. And while they were able to right themselves midair, land on their feet, she was unable. And she goes tumbling down on a locked left arm and snaps her, ri- her, her arm just above the wrist. And so yet again, here we go. New priorities, um, new plans, doctor's visits, um, new bills, new copays, new unexpected uh, priorities. So the pain becomes the preoccupation 
Other things had to get moved to the side so that we could take care of the kids. And so pain leads to preoccupation, leads to a priority shift. And so as we're seeking to be caring, we recognize that now we're becoming aware of lots of other people's pain and their preoccupation. And so we end up with these questions about, okay, what do we do? How do we respond? How do we help? When's the right time? What's the right solution? Who's the right person to be involved? And these are tricky and practical decisions that need to be made. And so priority is a really important theme at this stage in the development of this culture of care. Now I find that there's at least three categories of empathetic or non-empathetic people. So we respond to problems and pain with other people in various ways. Now, some people uh, I recognize seem always compelled to help. So we have those empathetic, uh, compassionate people. As soon as they hear there's a need, they wanna jump to it and they wanna help out. And so we have some amazing people like that in our church and on our staff and around us. You probably know some. You may be married to one or you may live with one. They're the people who are, pretty regularly late or unable to help or unable to juggle everything because they're helping people here and here and here and here and here. And that's awesome, but that can also lead to burnout and resentment and that person feeling uncared for because nobody cares for them the way that they care for other people. And so there's those people who tend to be quick responders. Maybe those are some of you. Maybe you know somebody, maybe you're elbowing somebody right now. Secondly, there's a lot of people who are in the, I wish I could, I, could, I would if I could, but I can't category. So you see it, you're, you have an impulse to do something, you feel it and you wanna help, but you're, you're committed, overcommitted, it's impossible. There's nothing that you feel like that you can do. Maybe you write a check or maybe you send a gift card or maybe you stop and pray with somebody, but your, your help is minimal because you're already uh, overtaxed. And so I think about that first group of people, you're probably the ones who without me even asking or directing you to sign up for the care team, heard me mention it in week one and went to our website and to the care tab and signed up to be a part of it. There's about 21 people who already did that. And so you are probably those uber compassionate people who are ready to act, ready to help. I'm guessing the people who are the, I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't crowd. You thought about it and then you thought better of it. And so you haven't done it yet. But then there's those third people, and this is on a spectrum, and there's probably some people in between these, but there's those people that they hear about a problem and their first impulse is not to act, or their first impulse is not to wish they could act, but the first impulse is to ask for more details. Oh, so your house burned down. Everyone's alive. Okay, everybody wants to help, and we're going to get you furniture, and we're going to get you gift cards, and we're going to get you a hotel stay, and you're probably the person that went, were there cigarettes involved in this house fire? Did somebody leave the stove on? What did you do? Whose fault is this? And your willingness to help kind of depends on the responsibility of the guilty party. How much of your problem did you cause? And so there can be an impulse in some of us of you kind of made your bed now, you need to lie in it. You figure this out on your own and maybe I'm not gonna help because uh, that wouldn't actually help the real problem, which is you making better decisions. So I would call these groups kind of the, the need-based priority. And so you see a need and you, you reprioritize to make it happen. And then there's the kind of ability-based priority where you see a need and then you assess what can I do? Do I have the capacity? Do I have the time? Do I have the energy? Do I have the resources to help? And so you have an ability-based priority. And then there's kind of that third group is I would call them the karma-based priority. They're like, you might just be getting what you deserve. So I need more details before I jump in to help. Now we all recognize that not all urgent needs require an immediate response. 
So we're very acquainted with this as a church staff because we are inundated with people's needs and their urgent needs, or at least their perceived urgent needs on a regular basis. And so oftentimes we hear about people who have to have their water bill paid today or it's gonna get cut off. And so there can be an impulse to go, well, hurry up and let's get a check and let's get it paid for before they turn it off. And we don't want anybody to be without water. But we also sometimes have to ask that question, like why is the water being cut off today? And why are you just coming to tell us now? And what led up to this? And is this a problem that's gonna happen next month? And, and so we need to ask those questions so that we can help in an appropriate way. And so part of this care ministry is gonna require us doing some situational triage. And so as we consider priority, this is a part of that process. Emergency rooms run like this. I know there's some nurses and doctors in the house. You know that if people go to the emergency room, this is not like the deli at Publix. You don't pull a number and get taken in order. If you come in with a cut on your foot that's, being, that's been bound and is no longer bleeding out and someone else comes in with a broken femur, they're getting seen first and you're gonna wait. And maybe you wait a long time because the triage happens. The evaluation of the immediate of the need, the urgency of the need. And so there is a priority that has to happen before we respond. How we should respond is then dictated by many different factors. That's what we're going to talk about next week as we evaluate uh, purposefulness. We want to be purposeful, but that has to do with what our purpose is, what our different parts are, and who's supposed to do what at what time. So we're going to be in this together, and part of being a well-coordinated culture of care means we're going to work together to put the right people in the right place at the right time. But that's next week, which I look forward to delivering to you live and in person. This morning, I just want us to take the remaining time to ask and consider how do we allow priority to drive care for people in pain and not allow people in pain to dictate our priorities. And this is super tricky. This is super tricky because the world is filled with people suffering. Uh, if you're not aware of people suffering, it's just because you haven't been clued in. They're everywhere. And so as we seek to provide help and provide care, the news of people suffering, the news of their need, the news of their anxiety is gonna come to the surface and we have to be able to make decisions and we have to be able to make evaluations and then we have to prioritize. Um, and so we need to consider priority as a theme for us, for our church family, and for what it looks like for us to engage in creating a culture of care. Now, just like everything else in this series, we don't start with us. We don't start with our priorities. We don't start with situational triage. We need to go to the scriptures and we need to evaluate God's priority. I love Acts chapter 20 because it puts on full display the priorities of God through his faithful steward, Paul, who has given himself completely to the call, who is doing everything to the details that God has called him to do. And because of his willingness and submission to God and his engagement and his purpose and mission, we get a picture of what really matters to God. And so I wanna look at first and foremost, God's priorities. Somebody say God's priorities. I don't know if anybody said it or if you sounded excited about it or not. I can't tell, but God's priorities. This should just blow your mind, but people are God's priority. People are God's priority. We talked about his preoccupation with us last Sunday. It's, it's us that becomes the priority for God. Look at verse 28 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock Paul says to the Ephesian leaders, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. 
God says, it's my church, my flock, my people. And he has established leaders so that they might watch over themselves, so that they might be positioned to oversee that which is precious to him. God loves his people, died to save his people, brings his people into a family, creates a structure and an oversight and provides shepherds. And the Holy Spirit compels people and calls people to give their lives to care for what God cares about, his church, which he obtained with his own blood. I don't know that there's stronger words to show how much God cares about his people. And if we back up in the verse and we see what God has called Paul to do is to spread the news of his love for the world so that he brings more and more people into the flock of God, more and more people into the church of God, more and more people come under the blood of Jesus to become God's because people are God's priority. No matter what, God always cares. No matter how bad it is, no matter who's at fault, no matter how bad you feel about what you have done or what's been done to you, God never stops caring because you are his priority. When when he starts his day, he never sleeps, but when he starts his day, you are at the top of his priority list. People are God's priority. Tiffany and I were sitting up the other night and we were talking about Matthew chapter 16 to 18 and the keys of the kingdom. And what does that mean? Yes, that's, that's what happens late at night with Tiffany and I, we sit and we talk about theology and what do these things mean? And, and we were kind of considering how um, the, the Catholic church and the more traditional churches look at those passages as uh, the church holding the admission, the access of people within or out of the kingdom. And so if you come in through the church, then you have access to God and it's the church that then authorizes you as saved and baptized. And, and so there's this kind of uh, ancient emphasis on access in those verses. And then there's this kind of like newish Pentecostal charismatic emphasis on authority. It's not so much about access, who's in, who's out, who's forgiven, who's unforgiven. It's about the fact that God gives every unique individual believer power, authority. And so we're binding things and we're loosening things. And her and I were talking about where on the spectrum should we be and what do these things mean and how do they apply? And we could come up with good answers. We were listening to all sorts of people and how they thought these things worked and what it looked like. Was it access? Was it authority? Was it both? What's the intermix? What's the role of the church? Who has the keys? What are the keys? What are they unlocking? What should we be binding up? And we were asking all these questions. But what stood out to me in chapters 16, 17, and 18 of Matthew's gospel was not necessarily what those king keys went to, but it was God's heart for people. He is about rescuing people from the gates of hell, unlocking people from the things that bind them, bringing people into the kingdom and keeping them safe. He's delegated that calling and authority to people and the church ought to be the place where the priority of God dictates our plans and our purpose. And so that's what this is about. This is about the missional heart of God to bring people into the forgiveness of Jesus and to make peace among men and to create a people for himself of his own possession that reflects his nature and character. This is God's priority and we have to start here because this begins to inform our priorities. Number two, our priorities. Now, as you grow, as you change, as the situations and seasons in your life come and go, you'll notice that your priorities change. There are times when you are committed to school or to a project or to work or to an issue with your child, your teenager, your infant, an illness. There's all sorts of things that come in and out of your life that will alter your priorities, what you do with the set amount of time, resources, energy, and gifts that God has given you. So our priorities will change, but our priorities 
will always limit our capacity. It's the things we choose to say yes to that decide all the other things that we have to then say no to. And so our priorities limit our capacity. So as we get to this stage in the series and this development of this culture of care, as we're thinking about what is my part? How am I supposed to serve? What difference am I supposed to make? Should I go and sign up to be a part of the care team ministry? And the answer is yes, you should. You should do that right after the service is over. What, where am I going to do that? How's that going to fit into my life? And that will only happen when you share God's priority for people and then you set your priorities based on your purpose, calling, and season. And so let's evaluate for a moment our priorities. Now there's an obvious biblical godly order. We ought to put God first in all things. God gives us these, these central relationships, our spouse, our children, our family, our occupation, being faithful to the work that God has called us to, our community. And so we have these kind of concentric circles of commitment that we need to focus on and they should dictate our, our, our priorities. We don't wanna become workaholics that give all of our attention to our occupation and ignore our family and our closest relationships. We wanna put God first in all things. We don't wanna marginalize, marginalize him. Even if we're idolizing a spouse or a relationship or a child, we have to have everything in order. First things first, make second things better and third things and fourth things and fifth things. And so we must prioritize. And it's in this choosing to prioritize that we actually begin to deal with our pain, anxiety, and stress. I mean, this is the very simple and clear teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter six. Look at verse 31 to 34. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? These are the basic necessities of life. Where's the next meal coming from? Where are we gonna have the, the, the hydration that we need, the clothes that we need? Verse 32, for the Gentiles, the godless Gentiles seek after these things. So you have this, this um, preoccupation terminology with your anxiety level about the things that you need. And then you have this priority word, seek. Where are you gonna put your attention? Where are you gonna put your energy? Where are you gonna put your effort? The Gentiles seek after these things. That's their priority. And your heavenly father, notice the key factor that's different from you is that you are not disconnected from God. You are not a godless Gentile. No, you have a father in heaven that knows what you need. You are his priority. And so verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Here we have priority terminology. Put your attention to what God is doing. When you make God's priorities, your priorities, then things begin to fall into order. And so if you seek first the kingdom of God, what he is about, what he is building and his righteousness that you are seeking to put on, what he has put on display and that's what's prominent in your life, then these things will be added to you. Let God take care of the things that make you anxious and drive you to prioritize, to get those things. Don't be driven by your anxiety, but instead let your priorities dictate your preoccupation and then watch God provide. It's important that we do this. I love that Jesus adds in verse 34, by the way, therefore, for this reason, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Don't waste your time today thinking about tomorrow. He says, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. There's plenty of worrying about tomorrow to be done tomorrow. Don't waste today worrying about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so meet with God in the moment, access the power of now, the presence of God, the priorities that he has, trusting him for the things that become your preoccupation so that by your priority, the spiritual discipline of deciding what's the most important, you allow your preoccupations to dissolve and experience the provision 
of God. Look back with me at Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. We're kind of filled into this conversation where the apostle Paul is speaking to these elders and it's weighty. These are like last words. And Paul is in this transition and he's bringing about this object lesson of what it really looks like to follow Jesus. We talk about this in our DNA series, that becoming a disciple of Jesus involves at least three basic things. The first is reordering your priorities. Jesus says, you can't follow after me unless you're gonna hate your mother and father. That doesn't mean be mean to them, feel emotion of hate. It means that he becomes the person that you defer to. No longer does family become number one. Now Jesus becomes number one. And so when you're forced to choose between following Jesus and following father, you follow Jesus. That's what that passage is about. And so following Jesus involves reordering, your priorities. It involves reallocating your possessions. All of these things create margin. When you decide you're going to seek first the kingdom, you're going to have your relationship with God be primary and first. And at the top of your priority list, there will be things that you will give up on. There will be things you will not have time for, but you will also find this beautiful cascading effect of seeking God, his righteousness, his calling, his purpose for you. And then as you then do the things he tells you to do, you're priorities begin to create a peace and a margin in your life that sets you free to be able to play the role in his kingdom and in the culture of care that he has determined for you. And so we reorder priorities, we reallocate possessions. We see ourselves as a steward, not as an owner. Everything comes from God. What are we supposed to do with what we have? We're gonna be faithful to do the things he wants us to do. We can be generous. We can live on less. That's the new LOL for the church. Live on less. That is directly against the prosperity of the American spirit is to get more and more and more and increase, 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 make more money, spend more money, have more stuff. And God says, no, we're gonna reallocate possessions because we're gonna, we're gonna reorient towards God. We set our priorities. We reallocate possessions. We live on less. We're a steward. We'll give an account. And then lastly, it's reaffirming your purpose. All of us are called to be salt and light. We're in this together, but each of us fulfills a unique part of the body of Christ that no one else can complete. And so God will get his work done with or without you, but no one will ever do what God has made for you to do the way God made you to do it. And we want every single person in the game. Now, when it comes to priority, we have to choose to get in the game. We have to choose to make decisions. We as a church did this when we started in 2015. We collapsed an old church that we had been a part of that we did not have alignment with as a church family. And so we shut that down. We did a hard reset and we started over. And we did that. We did not have the financial resources we needed to move forward. We had been running at over 100% of our income to expenses. We had hardly any money left in savings. And we felt as a team at that point, God was calling us to create margin then. And so we came up with a budget that had these minimum requirements that we would never spend more than 89% of our income on expenses so that we could give away 10% of every dollar to fund ministry and mission. And then on top of that, set aside at least 1%. So we had some resources available to provide benevolence for our members. And our goal was to lower that 89% as much as possible and to increase that 10 and one as much as possible. We call it our 89, 10 and one. 
And we've been doing that for over six years now. And we've had years where we have pushed the giving from 10 to 12 to 13 to 15 to 16% of our annual giving. We've watched that 1% commitment for benevolence hit six, 7% and be generous to people. And we're committed to doing that, but we would never be able to do that if we hadn't started making decisions that look different, new priorities, to, to, to live on less, to say no to things. There was all sorts of things along the way we wish we could have done, but we decided not to do so that we could do the things that God had put in our heart. Right now, we are experiencing a bottleneck of care because we have a very small staff and we could go hire another full-time pastoral care person to just care for people, but that would still run all the care through one person. And our, our, our mission, our vision as a church is to mobilize every member, to create not just a a position, a role for someone to care, but a culture of care where all of us are doing what each of us is called to do. And so this is why it's so important that everybody who feels called to be a part of this in a unique way, in a ministry way, in a committed way, sign up to be a part of the care team. And you can do that today. We created a new tab on our website, care. It's all the way to the far right near the give section. You can click on that, sign up, Let us know what you're interested in serving. From that list, we're gonna be identifying and empowering leaders, organizing teams, and then we are going to be mobilizing those teams to be able to meet the needs as they arise. And we're so excited. Now that leads us to the final point that I wanna draw our attention to. We've talked about God's priorities, our priorities, but I wanna talk about their problems. Not their priorities, their priorities problems. Third and lastly, their problems. And I say problems, I could have said their priorities because when people are hurting, when people are struggling, when they're stressed out or in pain, they come to you and it's that issue that is the number one thing, whether that's a late bill or impending homelessness or relational conflict uh, or an injury or a diagnosis, that is the thing they are fixated on, preoccupied with, that is their priority. And so we are coming into their pain with them by proximity, but then there has to be this evaluation, this situational triage that we talked about. Now, it's important that we recognize that other people's priority is usually centered around their problem. So I wanna go back to what we started with, the kind of three different dispositions towards care that people generally have. They're always compelled to help people, people. The I wish I could, but I can't, so I won't, people. And the your failure to plan does not constitute my emergency, people. So we have these three categories. Now, as we consider what we're supposed to do, oftentimes we are facing down other people's problems and we're seeking to prioritize where does your problem fit into my priority. Now, this is really important. And, and if we think about this, the, the needs-based people, they're going to jump in to maybe solve a problem that isn't actually the real problem. Maybe there's an impulse to help somebody out and give them some money only to find out that there's terrible mismanagement and maybe substance abuse or something else under the surface that is causing the money problems that are visible. Similarly, we could have ability-based people Uh, who wish they could do something and they do something from a distance because it's the thing they can do, but it isn't really actually helpful. And then you can have the people who sit back and kind of go, you asked for this. These are the karma people. They're going, yeah, I see why you're in this mess and you need to fix it yourself. Now, all of those could be the wrong thing. And so let's consider what it looks like to solve other people's problems through the priority of care. Now, in this passage, recognize the apostle Paul 
is preoccupied with what's gonna happen to him. He knows imprisonment, abuse, treachery, arrest. He's facing that. He doesn't know the details, but he knows what he's going into. But he's preoccupied with what God cares about, God's priorities, and that is the people of the churches of Jesus and the leaders of those churches. And so his impulse is to lead them and to care for them and to direct them. And where does he direct them? To what matters to God, to these people, to care for them. And so in this little interaction that we've looked at briefly, we start to ask this question, what do people really need? And this is such an important question to ask in situational triage. One of the partners we have, missional partners, is the Open Doors Counseling Network. And one of their little slogans is, we believe that our communities are stronger when people get the help they need. But the help a person needs is not always equal to the help they are asking for. And so we have to apply priority and triage to every situation to determine the source of the need. Otherwise, we can just become enablers and not empowerers. We are only feeding a problem and we are not solving a problem. Secondly, we need to ask the question, who is best suited to meet this need? Who is best suited to meet this need? Someone who's coming to you and they need a place to stay, a couch to sleep on, a spare room to crash in. Maybe that's a need that you could meet, but maybe the person that could best suit their need is someone that can help them to come up with a budget, to recognize how much they need to work, uh, what their expenses are, what what alterations in their life they can make. And so you might be able to meet an immediate need, but you might not be the best person for the help this person needs. And so part of this care ministry that we're putting together is so that we can accurately assess and prioritize other people's problem. The last question that we wanna all ask specifically, and I say this for everybody, is what role in this am I called to play? We are a care response team but our culture is going to go beyond responding to people's express needs. We wanna become an environment where so many needs are communicated and met, where mentorship happens, where generosity, where transactions occur, where fellowship is experienced, where proximity happens, where people cry together and pray together and call one another and send cards and we have nothing to do with it and we never know about it because we've built a culture of care. Now, I can tell you that if you're one of those karma people who need details about how did this all come about and are you responsible for it and are you gonna be left to fix this for yourself, that's gonna keep you from getting involved. It's gonna keep you from playing the role that God's called you to play and it doesn't represent the heart of God. Look back at verse 24. Look at the disposition of the apostle Paul here. He does not have the disposition of judgment. He does not have the disposition of karma. He doesn't have the disposition of you made your bed and now you lie in it. Your failure to plan does not constitute my emergency. The apostle Paul has been called by God and commissioned to bring a solution to other people's problems. And this is what the Bible calls the grace of God. Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. I am not better than you. I am not more valuable than you. I am not more important than you. If only I may finish my course, what God's called me to, and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. When we have an inner impulse to say, well, if you 
would have done this. And we do this as parents. I do this all the time. I'll have the kids running through the house with socks on on wood floors and they'll cut a corner too far and wipe out. And they slide out and they're crying. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, that's why daddy says don't run in the house. It's right there. It's in every single human heart. We all do it to some extent. But brothers and sisters, some people won't understand the grace of God until somebody shows up to solve a problem that they did not create. You see, this care culture and this care ministry gives us a tangible opportunity to present the miraculous life change that the Holy Spirit of God has done through faith in Jesus that results in people having God's priorities for other people to show up into a bad situation and say, you may have caused this problem, but I am here to help you solve it. Why? Why? Because God loves you and died to save you and me and gave me the capacity, the tools, the help, the knowledge, the wisdom, the experience to help your situation. And so I am a deliverer for you. I am a savior for you. I am a helper for you. All of those things pointing to the real redeemer, the real savior, the real helper, and that is God himself. It's a tremendous opportunity. And so we wanna allow the heart of God expressed through the sending of Jesus, his death on the cross, he solved our biggest problem and he empowers us to solve other people's problems. And so we aren't driven by their priorities, by the pain and the preoccupation, the stress and the anxiety. We are driven by God's priorities and that's that God's priorities are people. We wanna think smart, do the situational triage, determine what is the real need here and what part are we called to play and who is best suited to help. But ultimately we are trying to manifest the grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, our savior and the help that we are able to provide. Now that is said clearly, but this is not clear. This is complex. Uh, This is not clear cut and obvious. It is tricky. It is difficult. It's complicated. But the thing I wanna leave you with and the thing I wanna draw your attention to as we close is that we are not left alone to figure it out. I'm sure you already saw this in the passage, but in verse 22 and in verse 23, and then in our key verse 28, look at what we see, look at verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, what? Constrained by the spirit. In verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. Do you see the active agent in all of these things? It's not the apostle Paul. It's not the leaders of the churches at Ephesus. It's not a culture of care. It's not a care ministry. It's not you. The Holy Spirit is the one who is revealing the grace of God to people, ministering to people's needs, working in our hearts to create a motivation and a capacity, helping us to reprioritize, to know what we need to say yes to, to seek the kingdom of God first, to reorder everything, to create the margin we need to be generous and to be helpful and to be caring and then giving us the wisdom to know who to talk to and when, what to say and how to help, when to show up and how to solve those problems. We are never gonna be smart enough to figure this out on our own. We are never gonna have the right people who can look at every situation and know just what to do, but we are the people of God led by the spirit of God. And so how has God constrained you? What are the things he said to you? No, it's not time for that. 
You need to be ready to do the thing I'm gonna call you to. How has the Holy Spirit testified to you? What has he revealed to you that is your calling, that you are uniquely suited to do that other people are not? How can you walk in that calling and purpose? And then lastly, what has the Holy Spirit made you to oversee? Look at verse 28 as we close. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We might read this passage and just assume that it's the role and responsibility of pastors or church leaders to carry the weight of care. But the reality is is that God mobilizes every single member, every person who is a blood washed child of God. We are made by the Holy Spirit to be something and to do something. Yes, some will be overseers. Some will be pastors, leaders, ministry leaders, but every single one of us are a part of God's mission, fueled and empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And so this is where it's in our pursuit of God when we prioritize him first, that we get our marching orders, that every day we seek to be led by the Spirit, that we seek to create that margin, reprioritize, say no to the right things so that we're empowered to say yes to the right things as well. Now, I just wanna invite you, if you're here and these concepts of God kind of blow the categories that you've been working with and you're thinking to yourself and evaluating, what is this and how does grace really work and why would people wanna be this way? And if these things are landing as questions in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you. The reality is you were made for God and that you are disconnected from him. And he is the one who, who cares about you. He is the one who's come all the way into your world to solve your biggest problem. And that is disconnection from the life-giving spirit of God. Through faith in Jesus, you can be reconnected, join with Jesus and experience the, the life-giving flow of a relationship with God to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to have all the answers, but that decision starts today. As soon as you're willing to say yes to God, he moves right in, begins to walk with you, to work with you, to help you to prioritize, helps you to allocate your possessions, helps you to affirm your purpose. He is eager to do that. And we are eager to see that happen as well. So I wanna pray for you. And I also wanna pray for all of us as we seek to find our place inside of this culture of care. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for every person present or in my hearing at any point in time. God, I thank you that your word is timeless. It is not constrained by space, venue, and even language. God, I pray that the good news of the grace of God would fall into hearts willing to receive your forgiveness and your help and your care. God, I pray for those who right now are identifying themselves as those in need of your grace and of your help and of your care. God, I pray that they would have a simple faith to turn to you and to trust you. That They would say those words with their own mouth to say, God, I believe you, help me. And I know that you will respond to their faith with salvation and forgiveness and an overwhelming experience of your present Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for those of us who are seeking to follow after you to be disciples of Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to reorder our priorities, to reallocate our possessions and to reaffirm our purpose as we follow you. Lead us and help us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Look forward to seeing you in person next week. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. God bless you and have a wonderful week.